Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. Jesus Christ was born in a manger, and he had to experience an honest role as a baby through his voluntary uh, incarnation in human form. So he went through the process of being a baby, a realistic role, no manipulation, perfect in his babyhood. Then he had to become a young child without the privilege of usurping, uh, I shouldn't say usurping, without the privilege of executing authority, never using his deity. Then he became a teenager, and he had to go through 13 to 19, the role of a teenager, a very unique time for him in which he played six years under the Father's leadership and guidance of depending upon the Father to be a teenager. Prior to that, he depended upon the Father to be a young child, then a child from 6 to 12, 7 to 12. He had to completely depend upon the Father because a certain role was expected in light of truth, in light of being that age. So for these roles that he had to play, he was completely and totally dependent upon God the Father. And he mastered his role as a son of God in human form. I'll say that again. He mastered his role as being a son in human form. And so in John 5, uh, the Word of God says this. It's a very uh, beautiful passage. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. The, for the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that he may marvel. As the Father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Now this is a very important role. This is a role of obedience. This is a role of dependence. This is a role of being quickened. This is a role of studying through the Holy Spirit the leadership and activity of God the Father. It's a very important role. I'm a son, I must submit to my father. I'm a son, I must study my father and see what he's doing right now. And the principle is, is what is my father doing right now in this situation? What is the father doing right now? I'm watching him in the spirit world. I'm studying him in grace. I'm listening to him in meekness. What is my father doing? And then the father said, Son, because of your submission, I will show you everything I'm doing. And I'll show you everything you're to do. And I'll quicken you in it. And this is the principle of absolute dependence. Uh, the right kind of dependence. And in the 30th verse, I can of mine own self do nothing. These next three words are beautiful. As I hear. In order to hear, you've got to listen. As I hear. Meaning, he's listening. As I hear from God the Father, I judge. And my judgment is just. Why? Because I seek not mine own will, 
I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. That's a very interesting passage. If I bear witness of myself, that means if I say things that I feel and think that do not have the scriptural authority in back of them, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, the reason that that is so crucial is because we have a witness. We have two witnesses. And ever since Deuteronomy, there have always been two witnesses. The first witness we have within us is the Holy Spirit. The second witness is the Word of God. The outward witness that people test us by is not the Holy Spirit first, it's the Word of God. And the second witness, if the Word is true, is the Holy Spirit. So we have two witnesses. And when the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are adult sons, in Romans 8.16, you see, if a person speaks the word in the spirit of the word, if a person speaks truth in the spirit of wisdom, if a person uses authority in the spirit of meekness, if a person loves another person in the spirit of humility, if a person loves the, his enemies in the spirit of self-sacrificing grace, if a person pursues the plan of God in the spirit of faith, then that person has learned an eternal role. He isn't role-playing, he's role-living. And there's a major difference between role-playing and role-living. Often a woman will come to me occasionally and say, I'm sick and tired of my role. Kids, dishes, floors, I'm not happy. I don't feel like a real person because I'm forced into role-playing. Is she right? She may be right if the home isn't covered with love, but she's not right with God because the Word is not abiding in her and she's not abiding in the Word and she's not walking in the Spirit. So, the Word of God doesn't bear witness that her witness is true. See, the Word of God must bear witness that what I speak is true. And the only way you're going to know if what each other speaks is true is the witness of the Word, invisibly backed up by the witness of the Spirit. So Jesus said in John 14, He said, If you've seen me in verse 9, you've seen the Father. He said, I'm not role-playing. I live in the attributes of God the Father through my humanity. He said, I want to tell you something. You've attacked me. Philip hadn't, but the Pharisees did. But he said, I'm just like the Father. He said, you want to know what the Father's like? Who is the Spirit? Look at me. I'm just like him. Everything about me is like him. He was living in the reality of an eternal life role. And then he said this. Believest thou not that I am the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. Think of them: the number of words that would cease to be spoken if people didn't speak by themselves. Ugh. But the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father 
in me. And if you don't want to do that, believe me for my work's sake, for my record of fruit. I'm so thankful that he didn't just stop there. I can understand the Father and the Son. But I love the fact that now he brings us into the picture. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father and intercession. Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Second straight promise, second straight verse. If you ask in my name, I'll do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, there will be no problem. You will keep my commandments. Eternal life established in grace for us. Eternal life role-playing. Now, in Hebrews 2, Jesus calls us his family, and he calls himself our elder brother. Now he's a brother and sister, and he's our brother. To men, he's their oldest brother. To women, he's their big brother. And the times when you just need to be treated as a family member. And that's what this is all about. He said, any time that you lack family, I will play a realistic, absolute role of being your big brother. So he said, I want you to intimately get to know me like that. If you miss your brothers and sisters or if you don't have any, if you're away on the mission field and never have a family gathering with your own family, I'll be your big brother. Forget me as God, although I'll always be your God. Forget me as your head. Forget me as your Lord. Just, just talk to me in the car as your elder brother. Say, Jesus, you're my big brother. You've always treated me great in our family. Because remember Philippians 3.15, the family that's on earth, despite the fact that they are sinners, are treated identically the same as the family in heaven. And that's always been a precious blessing. They're perfect up there, but he sees us exactly the same down here as one family right now. So the, the woman that lost her brother, maybe he died of cancer, and she deep, deeply misses her brother. So she learns to take on Jesus Christ when she needs it as an elder brother. And then here's a widow that's lost her husband. They loved each other very, very deeply. And so in the book of Isaiah, Jesus said, I will truly be your husband. You can literally get to know me as your husband. I mean individually, personally. I will take on an eternal life role that is spiritually true. And if you really talk to me as you talked to your husband when he was alive, or maybe a husband has betrayed his wife and left his wife, I will be your husband. Now, I want you to think about the best possible marriage you could ever have. You're going to have one with me. I'll be your husband. And when you're lonely to be loved by a man, get on your knees and just say, you're my husband. When you feel disappointed and frustrated, because you're human and you're tempted and you need a husband, come on, I'll be your husband. And I'll satisfy you like 
No husband will ever satisfy you. It's not wrong for you to get a husband in my will, but I'll be your husband. You don't have to search. Many people are searching for a partner when they should be seeking and searching after God with all their heart. And there's a great gap. Jeremiah 29 tells them, you will find me when you seek and search for me with all your heart. They don't do it. They're always looking around, can they get a, a partner? Well, God, if, if I seek and search him with all my heart, won't God add unto me a partner if I'm supposed to have it? But there is in the Bible such a thing as a call where God is your only husband. There is that call. You may never have it, but there is a call. And so... All for women to get to know Jesus Christ as their husband. Now, the Holy Spirit for a man who loses his wife plays the role of a comforter, of a helpmate that picks up. So the Holy Spirit plays an eternal role as a wife for the husband who misses his wife or doesn't have a wife. And he gets to know the Holy Spirit who turns around and shows him everything about Jesus Christ and reveals everything that Jesus wants for his life. There wouldn't be nearly as many problems in the church of God if you understood today's message. Today's message is a lifesaver for a lot of people that are going to hear this tape. Then I love this one because I, I've counseled a person in this body that's been in eight adopted homes. And I've counseled people that have been in 12 homes where they've been shifted so people can get money. Sometimes uh, this week one girl's been in 12 homes and she was abused twice by the one that played the role of take care of it just for the paycheck at the end of the month. And I love Psalm 27. When your father and mother forsake you, God will be your father. Not just your heavenly father, but God will play the role in infancy to father these forsaken kids. He may send you and I to love them up like they've never been loved. The role of the father with children that have been forsaken. If I could share this with you, Colossians 3.11, where Christ is all and in all, now you know a little bit more of what this is all about. God changing his role. And then we go to church, and God says, I played the role as your Savior. I died vicariously and shed my blood in an efficacious way, and I took on an eternal life role to save you from all your sins. And you say, oh, my Savior, my Redeemer. And you get to know him as your total Savior, past, present, and future. And when you just need to save, you don't need anything else. You're going through something, you're being condemned, you don't feel you're worthy, and you just suspend it as long as you need to just to know the Savior. Your Savior person. From everything. And he gives you the process of rebounding, of getting up and rebounding. He never lets you go. Boy, you say, my good old Savior. That's the role you need right now. And then you get to know Jesus in the role of your deliverer. And the pain comes, and he delivers you. A terrible trial comes, and you depend. You get to know he's my deliverer. He's my deliverer. I don't care what, what sight tells me, what doctors tell me. I know he's going to bring me through, and he's going to give me a long life. He is my deliverer. Whatever I have to go through, and it seems like I've gone through everything, but he is my deliverer. So every morning, thank you, deliverer. When you're riding in the car, thank you, my deliverer. Boy, he's everything, and he really is. And with God being your deliverer from sin, your deliverer from heartache, 
then you spend a time that stays with you forever of getting to know him as your total healer. Messages aren't enough. To be loved up into faith is great. It's a part of growing, but it's not enough. You absolutely trust him in Exodus 15:26 to be the Lord God that heals thee. Your mind, your emotions, your conscience, your body, your relationships. And you're walking and you spend a lot of time until this is, you master this relationship in humility, independence, and love. And you say, oh, I always love messages on healing, but you're my healer. You really are. It's a wonderful experience. And then it goes on. Why does it go on? Because you're growing from faith to faith. And the righteousness of God's all-in-all character is revealed to you personally. You go from glory to glory. So the next glory is the revelation of his nature doing this new thing in the need for your present, re- present situation. But all of a sudden, you just need a head. He's the head of the church. That means you need to be told what to do. And you need somebody better than a man can do. Better than your pastor. He's there at times, and God would use him to do it so you would learn submission and learn the wisdom of his gift. But now there's somebody beyond him, and it's Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, the omnipotent one. And you go to him and you say, listen, I, I'm in trouble, trouble right now. I'm in a very serious situation, and I need the, a good head. I'm just going to get to know you as my head. That doesn't mean you deny the other portions of the body, but you're getting to know him in a practical way as your head. That means you submit to all of his orders given in the scriptures. The wife submits to her husband because she's doing honoring the head. The husband loves the wife because he's honoring the head. And then you get to know Jesus Christ realistically as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You don't have to be people-centered. You don't have to be dependent on people. Does that mean you will not draw near to them? It doesn't mean that. That's what some people take it when you teach this emphasis. No, you need the body forever because that's God's will and you need to draw near the body. But you're not dependent on people because you have a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com What a beautiful message the different roles, the different times of Jesus' life where he operated in a certain way. It rings very true, very clear for our lives, doesn't it? And there are different times and seasons we step into different roles. It's important to understand that a role at any given time is for a season and is not our identity Our identity is based in Jesus Christ. Our identity is eternal. What God has done on our behalf has formed our identity. So our our identity is based in eternity, but our role is temporal in it, and it's in time and space. 
and it may these roles may last for a long, long time, or they may be for a short time. Now, when we begin to untangle these things for our lives, the system of the world would have us base our identity in our role. And really, that's so wrong. The question that someone asks you, well, when you exchange names with someone or a new person that you're meeting, and you, you give them their name, and what's the very next question often? What do you do for a living if you're an adult? <laughs> if you're within that age or where you're working, um, you're not too young or you're, you're, not, you're past retirement, but even after you've retired, what did you do for a living? And what you did for a living becomes part of your identity fixed in their mind, and it's so fixed in our minds what we do. But what's so important, much more than what we do, is who we are. And when we know who we are, then we can do what we need to do. <laughs> so good, isn't it? It's so simple. Galatians 3.28 is a profound verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Really? My identity is a man? so steeped in my identity as a man and my identity as a woman? No, your identity is based on who you are in Christ. Even though we were born either male or female, and that's become very much our identity and our physical body or the hormones of our body generate within us our personality that's formed around this gender. And yet we don't understand because of the fall there are many out there who are born both male and female. Hermaphrodites are very, very common, much more common than we think. And as the fall continues to affect humanity, we see these lines blur even more and more. And is it my gender? Is my gender my identity? Or is my identity in Christ? Is my nationality my identity? Or is my identity in Christ? In Christ... We've been made sons, daughters, sons of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18, Galatians 3.26, 1 John 3.3. 3. We're new creatures. We're a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are members of his body in 1 Corinthians 12.13. We're a royal priesthood, holy, a chosen Generation, a peculiar people in First Peter 2. We're heavenly citizens in Luke 10:20, Ephesians 2:19, and following Hebrews 12:22. We're ambassadors for Christ in Second Corinthians 5:20. We're His brethren in Hebrews 2:11. We're light in the Lord in Ephesians 5:8, First Thessalonians 5:4. We have an identity in Jesus Christ. And because of that identity, we can function in the role of a husband, in the role of a wife, in the role of an employer, in the role of a coach. For a time and a season, it may be that we, it's fallen upon us to be parents and to raise up children. And those children grow up. And it's very important that our identity, we're founded in our identity, because our role will change when those children become adults. If that is given to us 
of God to have children if it is given to us to have a husband, to have a wife. Maybe we have a role as a single person and we're functioning that way. We're functioning in different roles in the church and those roles change over time in different ways. And if our identity isn't secure, then when my role changes, it can very seriously cripple or hinder us. And we know many people, tragedy befalls them, things happen. They have the role of a homeowner, and they labor in that, and they've purchased that home. Then their home is taken away or destroyed, and it devastates them to have a spouse taken from them in death, brought to heaven, and yet now they operate as a as a widow or a widower, and it's and it's they cannot make that grace adjustment because our identity was wrapped up in their role. I love that the scripture gives so much definition about what our roles are. Sometimes if we if we read the scripture and we we see the scripture in a legalistic what we would call a legalistic way, then these things become mandates that we have to live up to, that we have to accomplish. When the reality is is there functions within a role that glorify God in time and space. I love Titus 2, and if you we begin in that chapter, it goes through the role of a woman in the home, the role of a woman as she ages, and it gives all of these great descriptions in verse 4, that the older women teach the young women to be sober and to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient. And these qualities of the role that we take on glorify God, don't they? Don't they? When we meet godly people who are functioning very easily in who God has made them to be and therefore their role that they find, their situation they find themselves in, they're good stewards, they're ministers, they're ambassadors for Jesus Christ, they're ministers of reconciliation, can function in that role. And easily slip into the next one. Because these overriding principles of love and mercy, of honor, of integrity, of, of purity, are functioning in our lives because we know who we are. So now, when we need to take on new responsibilities, we have grace to make the adjustment. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. Maybe you live your life today not knowing Jesus as your Savior, really not having received Him as your Savior yet. Maybe you've lived a religious life. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe not. Maybe you've had little exposure to this or you've rejected what you thought was hypocrisy because people were supposed to live up to a certain standard that you saw or a standard that they put forth and they fell short of that in religious circles. The person who lived a perfect life was Jesus. And he functioned in every role in his life without sin. And yet you have not received him. And your roles in life, the things that you do, are very much entrenched in your identity. And that identity is not enough. It will never be enough 
You could never do enough. You could never function perfectly enough to make your way into heaven or to live this life in unity with God, in oneness with him, adopted as his son, purely on performance. But it's in that relationship with Jesus Christ, with understanding his role as your savior, his role as your comforter, his role as the head of the church. And you come under what he's done on your behalf, the task that he performed in the role of your savior. You receive it as that free gift. You become a receiver. Would you become a receiver tonight for the first time? Would you accept Christ as your Savior? Pray a prayer, something like this. Lord Jesus, you are Savior. You are King. You are God Almighty. I never really received it before, but today I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. What you did on my behalf, I I want it to be on my account. I receive it today. I believe in you. Come into my life. If you prayed that prayer, if you received Christ as your Savior, then ha, you're free from the roles of the world. You don't have to do anything, anything, anything more. Once you believed in Jesus as your Savior, you've been made righteous. You've been made holy. You are all that God would have you to be right at this very moment. It's impossible for us to get our heads around and totally understand, but God does it in our life. He saves us. He cleanses us, washes us, makes us new creatures. And as those new creatures that he's made, we are fully acceptable. Just as he said, Adam was very good in the garden when he made him. When he makes us, he says, oh, you are very good. You are very good in a way that you could never destroy. There's no decision that you would make now that would separate you from the love of God.